What's going on, FA Nation? Welcome back. First MMA DFS podcast of the year. I am Dan Malin, joined as always by Mike Alexander. He is Fantasy Alarms corner man. Uh, Mike, how are you doing? How how have you enjoyed the uh, the first couple cards from Fight Island? I know last Saturday's card was an absolute debacle. Yeah, it was a dog fest, and that's always a, a rough night unless you decided to just be stupidly contrarian. <laughs> um uh, yeah, last card started out really nice. We were, you know, uh, probably about three quarters of the way through with only one fight wrong and uh, kind of fell apart at the end. So that'll happen as the, the more competitive fights take place. But yeah, got uh, got Conor McGregor on the card this weekend. That's always a big draw. Uh, and the whole world comes and takes a look at our, our little corner of the sports universe. Yeah, uh, I mean, Conor McGregor could be fighting a sleeping bag and they'll still get... <laughs> Plenty of pay-per-view buys for this one. Uh, we'll touch on the main event, obviously, real in a few minutes. Uh, but heading into the 2021 MMA DFS season, DraftKings did make some changes to their scoring. I know we're two slates in, uh, but I'm expecting that with Conor McGregor on ha- available for, for this card, there's going to be a lot of casual uh, DFS players for MMA coming in, maybe trying it for the first time. What are some of the changes that DraftKings went through uh, with the scoring, I guess, during their three-week hiatus? Yeah, and and props to DraftKings for doing it. Um, it, You know, changing scoring is never something that I'm I'm sure these sites are thrilled to do. Um, Probably takes a lot of work. But they made some nice changes, some changes that people have been clamoring for. Um, The biggest one is that... Uh, they hadn't previously included all strikes, only significant strikes. The real difference is that ground strikes, you know, if somebody takes their opponent down and is, is in, you know, uh, mount on the mat and is punching them, those strikes typically weren't being counted as significant. For whatever reason, the people at the UFC who do the stats don't deem them to be significant. Uh, so DraftKings, what they did was they took significant strikes being worth half a point and reduced them to 0.4, and they made any non-significant strike 0.2. So it's going to catch all of them. You know, you get a guy that takes his opponent down and, and, you know, holds him on the mat for 15 minutes and racks up, you know, 50, 75 strikes that aren't significant, you're still going to get points there. That's, you know, the, the it's rare, but it happens from time to time where you just... You gotta, you gotta give them some kind of credit there. They also added in control time. Uh, you know, you're holding your opponent on the mat or a couple of random kind of fluky situations, but generally that's that's where control time occurs. It's a very small amount, 0.03 per second. But like we saw Michael Chiesa in in the main event in the last card get almost a thousand seconds of control time, so he got some legitimate points. Um, they did away with advances, which were kind of fluky to score anyway, uh, and the control time, you know, replaces that there. And then they added a quick win bonus of 25 points for a knockout in the first round. Very rare, you know. They they happen a few times a year, but it's a nice thing where if your fighter goes out and one punches their opponent, and you know they score the maximum 100 points, uh, you know they didn't get a chance to do any work and, and get you more than 100. Um, so giving them that 125 is, is assuming there's a knockdown is a nice little uh, piece in, in my opinion. Um, but you know the, the takeaway from all of that is you have to be a little more careful with people who have no grappling 
because strikes are worth 20% less um, if they're still significant. So, you know, a guy, um, you know, like the the guitar Holloway matchup, we had some concerns there, you know, is the stack going to pay off because there's going to be no grappling? Well, you know, when, when Max Holloway goes out and lands 445 significant strikes, <laughs> quadruples like, you know, any normal person's output, uh, there's no problem with the stack. But uh, yeah, th- th- that's the main takeaway. Look for people who can include grappling or projectable grappling like we saw with Ricky Simone uh, this past weekend. All right, a couple of quick programming notes. If you're new to MMA DFS or if you're new to uh, Fantasy Alarm and what our uh, weekly offerings are, uh, Mike will have a playbook out on Friday, and then there will be two videos that come out on Saturday. Uh, there will be the MMA DFS Cornerman covers three fights. Uh, are you going to take the same approach that you did last weekend with kind of like a good cash play uh, and a couple GPP fights to target? Yeah, I think I like that format. You know, I give a quick cash strat, uh, you know, get your toes in there, um, then a, a GPP fight to target, and then, you know, a wild, a wild card with some leverage. Yep, and then the other video that he does is for Wager Alarm. It's his best bets. He will offer up uh, typically three bets, uh, mixes in a prop in there as well. Um, but with that being said, uh, McGregor's on the slate. Let's talk it up. This isn't the first time these two have fought, but I want to say, like, their last fight was like maybe six or seven years ago. Uh, McGregor is 9,100. He is a minus 290 favorite. Uh, Dustin Poirier, 7,100. Obviously, he's no can. Uh, I mean, if you're if they're putting you in the main event with Conor McGregor, you've, you've earned your stripes and you deserve to be there. Uh, how heavy are you going to be on McGregor? And, <laughs> and what kind of ownership should we expect on McGregor? And, as always, is the main event stackable? So... We'll start with the ownership. I think, you know, uh, after we saw Connor blast Cowboy in, in his last action, people are right back where they were pre-Khabib uh, on Connor. They think the world of him. Uh, he is a very dangerous striker. He's charismatic and enigmatic, and uh, it just it just draws so much attention. You know, the, the people who are just popping in to be like, oh, I want to play you know, a lineup for MMA since Connor's on the card. He's going in their lineup. So probably, you know, 50% is extreme chalk. It's probably in that 50% range, maybe 55%. Uh, you know, breaking down the fight. Uh, you mentioned they fought before a long time back. And both of them were kind of on the come up. So this was a, you know, who's who's moving into the title. All the way back at UFC 178. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and and this is I think this was that fight was at 145 uh, and this fight's at 155, which still kind of insane for these guys to make 155. They both walk around at about 180 uh, on fight night. So huge, huge uh, amount of weight they're cutting. so, you know, uh, Connor is is pretty much the same fighter he's always been. Uh, really good counters, uh, in- incredible power, bides his time, he waits for his shot, and, you know, he he captured lightning in a bottle in his run up to being uh, the, the lightweight champion. Um, he's had multiple belts, but we'll just say the lightweight champion. Uh, so, you know, he... he Jose Aldo, he 
He just waited and timed to counter perfectly. Um, you know, Chad Mendez just destroyed him. Poirier, first round, you know, barely any time in, takes takes care of him right away. He, he's just chopping these names off his list. The first struggle he has, Nate Diaz, wasn't ready for a dogfight. And he thought he was just going to walk in and beat up Nate Diaz because you can hit Nate Diaz. He's easy to hit. He's not easy to put away. Um, got submitted, and, and that's kind of the beginning of the Connor has grappling issues narrative. Gets the rematch with Nate. Um, puts in major work uh, and, and thoroughly over five rounds dominates him. Um, you know, which, which was really strong to see. Then he has the whole starts maybe, you know, using recreational drugs uh, and going insane, throwing hand carts at buses and that whole thing. Goes to boxing, loses to Floyd Mayweather, comes back, loses to Khabib. Now the Connor can't grapple narrative is cemented, you know, got submitted, he got dominated wrestling-wise. But the thing that people don't realize, uh, he actually kind of held his own against Khabib. You know, would you say he was he was great in the wrestling department? No, but he effectively did extend that fight. It got it into the fourth round. Yep. Um, at no point did it feel like he was going to win the fight, but it didn't need to feel like that. He needed one moment to land one big shot. Uh, what ended up happening is he got so focused on defending takedowns, he never got his offense off the ground. He was never comfortable, and that's what Khabib does. He just never lets you be comfortable, and that's why he's the best. Um, you know, got back with Cerrone, starched him with a head kick. Then he's retired again. Khabib goes away. Now he's unretired, so... You know, I don't, I don't know what his game is with, with the whole career path. He needs money, I think. He's got lawsuits. Um, Poirier's a nice matchup for him, though. He can, he can win this fight. It's not, it's not a huge challenge. Um, the concerns I have with this fight scoring-wise, Connor is not a volume striker. He is a, a power counterpuncher. Yeah, um, quality over quantity. Yeah, and, and it works great when it's the first or second round. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> You know, Dustin, though, is not he's not a guy who has no chin. We just saw him go through a war with with Dan Hooker and eat some big shots. Um, he was in there with with Justin Gaethje and survived some huge, huge moments of, of you know, eating some power. Uh, Eddie Alvarez fought him twice. You know, plenty of back and forth action. This guy is not someone you knock out easily. Connor says he wants to knock him out in a minute. That's got people really interested in that first uh, 60 second DraftKings scoring bonus. I don't know if that happens, but we have concerns. Poirier, you know, they're similar age, but Poirier's got a lot more miles. Uh, probably his last true run. Uh, you know, maybe the winner of this is going to fight a title eliminator, um, or this is a title eliminator, and they're going to get the title shot um, with probably the winner of Gaethje and, and if he fights Oliveira, but. You know, uh, I don't think – people think Dustin's going to grapple here. Dustin is an opportunistic grappler. I don't think he's going to come out here with a wrestling-centric game plan. I think his odds to submit Conor McGregor are pretty slim. It's going to be a striking affair. For Poirier to win, he has to do the same thing he did to Max Holloway. He's got to out-volume him. He's got to carry, you know, the rounds that way. And he's got to not get knocked out. Um, I think that's a really risky proposition against Conor. But if it happens in the third round or early fourth, 
I don't think McGregor is an optimal kind of lineup score. If it happens first or second, second's fine. First is great. Really, you want it to happen like fifth round knockout uh, or late fourth because you can get the stats built up. So there's windows to, to both guys being in the optimal lineup. More so Connor. I'm going to pick Connor to win the fight. I think it's going to be a good one. It's going to be competitive. But as far as, you know, who, who's going to be on the optimal, there's question marks there. So, you know, if you're building four or five lineups, you probably want two or three Connor and maybe one Dustin. Uh, given the new scoring on DraftKings, are you, are you okay stacking this one for cash? Not that interested in stacking okay. because the, the pace, you know, if it's if it's at all measured, if Poirier goes balls to the wall and kind of drags Connor into an extended fight and he doesn't get knocked out, yeah, the stack could work out. But he could get knocked out. Uh, it, it, he could win the fight. You know, he could knock Connor out. You know, that's not an impossibility. Um, but I don't I don't see huge volume on both sides and the fight really lasting. So stack is iffy, you know. Gotcha. All right, next fight on the card, we've got Dan Hooker as a minus 130 favorite. Uh, he is 8,500. Uh, he is fighting Michael Chandler coming over from Bellator. Chandler is going to be 7,700. Uh, Chandler making his UFC debut. He's, I mean, I feel like when we've done these podcasts, a lot of the guys making their UFC debuts have come over from absolute uh, garbage promotions, but Bellator is one of the more respectable ones. It's probably the number two to UFC. Uh, Hooker, uh, coming off a loss to Dustin Poirier, who we just talked about, but, you know, still an obvious favorite here. Uh, what's your read on this one with Hooker? I think he's ranked top five in his division against, uh, Chandler coming in for the debut. Yeah, I try to keep this one brief because like you said, we've got Chandler coming over from Bellator and we, we don't know a lot about how he's going to look in the UFC. Uh, he fought a couple decent people in Bellator, but like... A lot of them are names, you know. He just, his most recent fight was Benson Henderson. It's the shell of Benson Henderson, not the UFC champion Benson Henderson. Um, he lost to Patricio Pitbull, um, you know, quickly in, in his one like real test over there. Um, you know, so I, he's a solid wrestler. He's a decent boxer, a quality addition. But the UFC, the way I read this, the UFC loves to take people from other promotions. And just take that shine right off of him and put it to the UFC. So they put him in here with Dan Hooker. He loses. Okay, not a big deal. Dan Hooker's a great fighter. Then they can put him against somebody else. He loses there. Okay, we, you know, they'll step him down. They do the opposite of building up a, a young fighter. They put him in, you know, they throw him to the wolves, and then they just try to wring as much cred out of the person as they can. And if they win the fight, it's a win-win for them because then they say, oh, you know, we, we signed this great fighter. We knew he was good. Um, Hooker, uh, you know, he could have some grappling issues. We haven't seen him against many wrestlers. And early in his UFC career, he did struggle uh, in a few losses where he was taken down multiple times. He's really long for the division. He's got sneaky submissions. So even if he does get taken down, he's got some passive victory. His striking, though, is really where it's at. Uh, the guy is relentless with his pressure, with his volume. His chin can hold up. You know, We saw him in Poirier go to war. Um, you He'll know, have a six and a half inch reach advantage too. Yeah, he's huge for the weight. Yeah. Um, you know, his his last loss prior to Dustin Poirier was to Edson Barbosa, who 
hit him in the head with everything, including the kitchen sink, and finally had to just hit him in the liver until uh, Hooker's body shut down and made him fold in the third round. I mean, it was a beating among beatings. So, um, you know, unless Chandler is a better wrestler than we think, um, and he holds Hooker down for three rounds, um, you know, I, I think it's it's a tough fight for Chandler to win. Not knowing, like I said, where he is, though, it's it's tough to count him out. But I'm going to pick Hooker here. A little bit of interest in Hooker on DraftKings, uh, if he can have volume there. I do worry, though, about Chandler kind of smothering him at points. That's going to be his fallback plan. So it might, you know, again, cause some issues for, for Hooker's scoring in a win um, if he doesn't get a knockout. All right, next fight, we've got Joanne Calderwood, 8,400, versus Jessica I. Uh, she is 7,800. Calderwood is a minus 120 favorite, so it's it's a pretty even fight according to Vegas. I don't know if I'm going to have much interest in Jessica I for the reasons being um, I'm not in love with the volume. I want to say she only averages maybe 3.4, uh strikes landed per minute. Um, I don't love the volume in her last four fights. Um, according to DraftKings, she hasn't really controlled a lot of time on the mat. Um, so just in terms of pure volume and do I think she could win? Nah, I, I could see this one going to the cards. I am a little bit intrigued with Joanne Calderwood. She does provide volume uh, in her last four fights in the UFC. She has at least two minutes of ground control in each fight. Um, she's only the slight favorite, though. Um, she comes with strikes. Um, I know we we typically don't target a lot of female fighters, but I think at the price tag, Joanne Calderwood is one that'll entertain a little bit for GPPs. But love to see how you're reading this one. More interested in Calderwood than I. Even in a win, I like you said, it's probably a decision, probably because she was able to dictate the striking. Uh, if JoJo gets her her offense going, it's a lot of leg kicks. Those count as significant strikes. Um, you know she's. She's got plenty of uh, fights where, um, you know, she can put up over 100 significant strikes because, you know, kicks are easy to just keep flicking. Um, you know, uh, she'll grapple a little bit. You know, she's good for usually a takedown a fight if things are going her way. Um, you know, that loss to Jennifer Maya, that really stung because she was right there with a title shot. Uh, Valentina just wasn't ready to go yet. So this is a nice fight for her because I has fought for the title. She wins this. She re-cements herself as a contender. And I think she'll get it done here. Um, ever since she kind of rededicated herself back in 2017, we've seen a different version of her. And, um, you know, she's only got a couple losses in, in the span since. So I'd pick JoJo. Again, not, not a core build, but uh, somebody if you're building five lineups, you want one or two shares of. All right, next fight is a pretty uh, interesting one. Uh, probably going to butcher the name. It's kind of my thing. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, Otman Zaitar, uh, 8,800, uh, going against, I think, Matt Frivola. Uh, what's his price tag? 7,400. Uh, Azaitar is, I think he only has two fights in the UFC, his last one being in September against Kama Worthy. Landed a first-round uh, knockout. Actually, in two fights in the UFC, he's finished them both in the first round. Um, so he does have that early finish potential. Um, do you actually think that he could be one of those guys that lands that win inside one minute and gets that 25-point bonus on top of the 90-point first-round win? Certainly possible. 
uh, you know, he he's shown he's aggressive and very powerful. Uh, his debut against Timu Pakalin, Pakalin, you know, is a guy that the UFC keeps around for European shows to <laughs> put in with somebody they want to look good, and he did. Kama Worthy, though, you know, Worthy had been getting his thing done in the UFC. You know, I, I didn't think much of him coming in and, and underestimated him three straight times. Um, it, Worthy's problem has always been, though, that he'll eat the bombs, and that's exactly what Azatar does, and he got slept in the first round. Frivola, kind of the same thing. Not good striking defense. A really gritty fighter wants to kind of wrestle you and dirty box you and, and just make it an ugly fight. Um, he does have a first round loss to Polo Reyes in a minute exactly. Um, back in 2018. You know, me personally, I've been trying to catch that same lightning in a bottle. I thought Jalen Turner would do it. Looked pretty bad against Frivola in a loss. Just got held down. Luis Pena, same thing. I thought Pena, you know, better striker. Should win here. Lost a split decision. I think Pena probably should have got the nod, but, you know, not not anything near a robbery. Um, so if he does avoid getting that knockout, he might be able to just do his thing, make it ugly, tire out Azatar, get some grappling points, and at 7,400, that makes him a very interesting dog. There are not many of them um, down down in the, in the low sevens that are guys that you'd feel at all comfortable with. And, you know, first-round knockouts are super hard to have happen. Mm-hmm. Is a guy going to have three of them in a row with three step-ups in competition? I, I would bet not. So, um, you know, it, it's certainly possible, but I wouldn't go as far as to say I'd pick Frivola to win the fight because I don't think he's a very good fighter, but I've underestimated him previously. And at 7,400, you're going to probably mix him into your, your pool for GPPs. All right, next fight on the card. Uh, Amanda Rivas is 9,200 versus Marina Rodriguez, who is 7,000. Uh, Rivas is a minus 310 favorite. Uh, she is 4-0 in the UFC uh, with pretty solid wins. I mean, she beat Paige Van Zant over the summer with a first-round armbar. She's beaten Random Marcos. Hell, she even beat Mackenzie Dern via decision. Uh in 2019 in the fall. Uh, Rebus is a huge favorite here. I'm actually really into this fight. Uh, if you just look at their matchup preview on UFC.com, uh, they both, uh, Rebus lands 4.8 significant, landed, lands 4.84 significant strikes per minute, only absorbs 1.7. On the other end, Rodriguez lands 5.82 per minute, absorbs only 3.27. So the defense and the volume is actually pretty good for both ladies, but I feel like I'm going to go with Vegas and assume Amanda Rivas wins this one, and I actually think she could easily win this one inside the distance. A lot of it's going to come down to whether Hibas decides to grapple early, um, and will it be effective? You know, I saw you know somewhere she had mentioned she wants to prove that she's got kickboxing in this fight. Um, does that mean she won't wrestle? No, you know, wrestling is definitely part of her tool bag. And, you know, Marina Rodriguez, we've seen people who wrestle well give her major problems. Uh, you know, she's got a draw with Randa Marcos and Cynthia Cavillo, um, both be- because she got held down for the majority of a round and, and got 10 uh, what when she'd won the other two rounds. Uh, she lost to Carla Esparza. 
um, split decision. You know, she she had her spots where she did make some strides, I think, in the wrestling department, but still got out-wrestled by a very crafty wrestler. Um, you know, Rebus is not, she is not a power wrestler. She kind of utilizes it as, like I said, as part of her tool bag. Uh, it's not her, her bread and butter. Um, she did a great job using again against Mackenzie Dern and she smoked Mackenzie Dern out and it showed that, you know, Dern isn't what, who people thought she was, at least not yet. Um, and that, that really gave her most of her shine, Rebus, that is. So um, both of these girls are looking to make a statement here. Uh, and, you know, a, a wrestling-based decision kind of doesn't make a statement. So I think there's an opportunity with Marina at, at 7K um, to say, you know, take take a stab on her if you're, if you're building lineups more than one. Uh, the knockout is a little bit live for her. A volume-based decision is a little bit live for her. It's it wouldn't be a huge score if it weren't a knockout. You know, she's probably going to score sixty-five points because scoring is is reduced uh, for most fighters with with the new scoring. Um, but at seven K as the second cheapest fighter, like or maybe not a third cheapest fighter. Um, you know, but this is the bottom of the of the pricing tier. If they win, they let you use your salary up top, and if you get those fighters right and, and they score big, they smash, that's where things really get interesting for you uh, at the top of a GPP. So, um, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't outright pick Marina. You know, I, I pick Rebus, but I think Marina is a live dog. Um, and, uh, you know, you probably want some of both because if Rebus does, does wrestle, even at 9,200 um, – she could hold Marina down for 10 of the 15 minutes, uh, add some takedowns and some striking, and, and make it a, uh, a decent score. All right, next fight on the card, another heavy favorite. We've got Armand Sarukian. He is $8,900. He's also a minus 300 favorite. He is fighting Nazrat Hakparas. He is $7,300. I can't tell, uh, just on quick glance, if I want to go heavy with exposure to this fight or if I want to fade it entirely. Um, I know Vegas really likes Sarukian to uh, win with ease since he's a minus 300 favorite. Uh, he's 2-1 and one in the UFC. All three of his fights have gone to the cards. Um, I do think that the new scoring may actually help him a little bit, uh, just given that he can get this to the ground. He can control it on the ground. Um, gets a little bit of striking volume, but, I mean, he goes for takedowns and, and he can win via the cards. But at 8,900... You know, where we've only seen seen it under this scoring, we've seen his best performance be 86 points. I'm not sure that the ceiling is necessarily there for him in a GPP, unless you think he can really dominate um, Hackbrass in this fight. I don't think in a GPP, no. Uh, his style is that, that kind of Russian Sambo, um, tight striking, tight grappling. He'd prefer to wrestle you... Um, doesn't care if he's taking you down as long as he's controlling you. Doesn't care about submitting you if he takes you down as long as he's controlling you. Uh, it, it's all what it's about for the for the, the Russian style. Um, you know, there's probably a... I think if, if he were going to be on the optimal, it would be that he managed a submission off of some ground control because we haven't seen Hack Press really have to grapple besides his UFC debut, which... He lost to Marcin Held uh, as a fairly decent favorite, if I remember correctly, way back in 2017. Um, 
you know, we saw Drew Date, Dober KO Hack Press uh, because Hack Press just made a complete, absolute mistake in the striking, um, and and you know Drew Dober's got the power to punish that. Uh, but he's 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 been durable. Besides that, he's also a good boxer, um, but a, a kind of a guy that likes to, to maintain range and control. Um, you know, we've we've seen him have a couple of big striking totals, but um, you know they're against really low level opponents. He's not going to get you any grappling. Uh, so if he doesn't get a knockout, which it's not likely against a, a guy with Sarukian style. He's kind of dead to me in the GPP pool. And Sarukian probably wins a decision. Interesting in a cash uh, lineup, but um, for GPPs, probably just doesn't have the ceiling. All right, next fight on the card, we've got Brad Tavares, 8,700. He's also a minus 125 favorite. He's fighting Antonio Carlos Jr., uh, 7,500. Judging by the uh, fight profile on UFC.com, this looks like one that could be a snooze fest, or it'll be entertaining if this goes to the mat. Uh, ACJ only lands 1.12 significant strikes per minute, eats 3.65, so he's eating three times as many punches as he throws. Tavares lands three per minute, meh, only absorbs 2.76. Where this fight could shine is that uh, Antonio Carlos Jr., Averages almost three takedowns per 15 minutes. Um, he has 80% takedown accuracy. Um, he averages two submissions per 15 minutes. I don't know how that makes any sense. Uh, what's your read on this fight? Is, is this one that you're looking to fade? Is this one that you want to get exposure to? I do think that the new scoring could help one of these fighters greatly. Yeah. Carlos Jr., uh, his his. Nickname is Shoeface in Spanish is Cara de Zapato uh, that translates into sh- uh, Shoeface. Um, you, if, when you see him fight, you kind of get it. He's he's got a leather face, um, but yeah, he's he's you see it in his picture. Yeah, he's uh, <laughs> he's a rugged dude. Uh, he wants to grapple. He wants to wrestle. He wants to get his BJJ going. Um, when he has a clear wrestling advantage, he's he's a very um, live uh you know uh, person to score big uh, in the in a dk setting um he's live for submissions he's he's got world-class bjj um you know where run, yeah where we run into trouble though is you know like look his last two fights are uriah hall and ian heinish um you know he was able to get takedowns and do nothing with them in both fights and got outstruck um, and, and lost two fairly close fights. You know, the Heinish one, maybe not super close, but split decision with Hall and, and then Heinish close one. Um, so, you know, Tavares, not a guy that's an excellent wrestler, but he's got a little bit of everything. My question is, where where is Brad Tavares at in his career? Um, his last two fights are both losses to up-and-coming prospects. Um, you know, he was the real first test for Israel Adesanya back in 2018, uh, and got his face rearranged. Then he came out and got, um, you know, head kicked by Edmund Shabazian uh, in the first round uh, two years later, practically. Um, so, you know, he got paid pretty nice money to take the, the Adesanya fight, is the word on the street. Um, probably same deal for Shabazian. He was still a name the UFC could use. They're kind of throwing him a winnable fight here. Could he outstrike? shoe face and, and win a decision yeah probably not going to knock him out um 
shoe face is a pretty tough dude. Not uh, not many losses by uh, knockout for him. Only one in his UFC career, which spans about a dozen fights. So um, <clears throat> I, I'm more interested in the dog for DraftKings because if he if he does pull off that submission over a fairly washed up Brad Tavares, it's a decent score. I agree. Move on to the next fight. We have Juliana Pena. Uh, she's only 8,000. She's a slight underdog here. Um, she is fighting Sarah McCann. McCann is 8,200, and she is a minus 130 favorite. Um, third women's fight on the card. feel like this is one that I may go lighter on. Um, I just remember from previewing these two in the past that we're, we weren't particularly crazy about either. However, um, Sarah McCann does come with you know ground control time. There is that upside. Um, I feel like she's either going to get you 80 to 90 to maybe 100 points or she's going to be below 40 points if it's a disastrous losing effort. Okay. Uh, Juliana Pena, I've never really been in love with her volume or her output, especially over her last four fights. Um, based on the new scoring, you know, I mean, she hasn't even top 90 uh, DraftKings points. So at 8,000, it's like I'm a little hesitant. I feel like I may get a little exposure to McCann here. But of the three women's fights, I think this is the one I may fade the most. Don't blame you. Uh, if I'm going to play anyone, it's going to be McCann. You know, we, we've struggled with McCann because she's got an amazing skill set. Her wrestling is Olympic caliber. Um <clears throat> But in the UFC, we've seen her have some major issues of, you know, people call her a quitter or, you know, choke artist kind of thing where, like, she looks great for half a round or the first round and then has just a little bit of adversity she's got to face and um, just folds up, gives away fights she, she should have won, uh, you know, losing to, to Ketlin Vieira, Marianne Renault. Um, you know, the prior losses are Amanda Nunez, Misha Tate, and Ronda Rousey. Um, don't have huge issues with that. Uh, right. All three of those women would have very good striking, even though Nunez submitted her. Um, you know that that was that was the top of the UFC women's division when it came into existence back in you know the fourteen range. Um, that was when she fought Rousey. Uh, so you know it, it's it's a case of are we overweighting those moments in our mind? You know. Uh, losing to the really good people in the UFC kind of clouding what her her true abilities are did she just kind of get caught by by some of the better fighters in the women's divisions um you know uh, last time out Lena Landsberg has never been a great grappler McMahon just held her down and coasted her way to a decision could that happen here yeah that's a concern but Pena you know People have been calling Pena a fraud for a while. She's she's got the good looks. She mm-hmm. came up on the Ultimate Fighter quickly. Dana White, you know, loves her for whatever reason. You know, you, you insert the blank there. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, Dana's got his tastes. Um, right. But you know, she she tore her knee in training way back. Uh, she had a baby. She got in a bar fight. Like her career has been a train wreck. Um, you know, she looked okay against Nico Montano in her return, who's a decent fighter uh, and someone who does grapple fairly well. But then against Jermaine Durandami, she got submitted. And that's like a major red flag for someone who is a kind of power wrestler with some submissions. Like, 
GDR should not submit anyone in the UFC, <laughs> you know, and it, she wrapped her up with like a guillotine that was like, I don't know that like, it's like day two BJJ stuff. You should be able to defend. So I don't know where Pena's at, where her training's at. Could she come out and surprise me? Sure. Um, she is a good athlete. She does have some power. Uh, she could get, a, a, you know, one of those Sarah McMahon moments where like McMahon wins the first seven minutes with just smooth grappling all of a sudden, Pena lands one nice punch, and McMahon folds up, doesn't know what to do, fights over. You, you, you know, you thought you were cashing in your McMahon bet, and all of a sudden, you're tearing up a ticket in a blink of an eye. But I think it's probably McMahon wrestling her way. Um, I think Pena's good enough to force enough action that makes McMahon interesting at the $8,200 price point. Do you have any concern for possible ring rust for McMahon? I mean, I know she hasn't fought in about a year, but even dating back to like March of 2018, almost three years, she, you know, she still hasn't really had too much in ring action. Do you still feel pretty good about McCann? Yeah. You know, she trains in a really good camp. And, and one thing that, you know, is something to note, like uh, she's never been good off of her back. That's where she's had some problems with some of those losses where she's gotten submitted. And that's a wrestler kind of, problem you know in wrestling it's as long as you you know don't get get put in in a tight spot like that if you're if you're on your you know your stomach you're fine you're not going to get pinned um so you're seeing you know she's she's having to adjust to that i think um and she's 40 you know why is she still fighting at 40 if if she wasn't if her head wasn't in it so i I don't think that's going to be a problem all right Next fight on the card could be a banger. Uh, we have Khalil Roundtree, who is a minus 330 favorite. He's also $9,300 on DraftKings uh, versus Marcin Prochnio. Uh, he is only, what's his price tag? $6,900, nice. Uh, however, with Roundtree, it's kind of an all or nothing thing. He can either finish this fight in the first round or get finished in the first round. We've seen uh, both ends of that happen all too often. He has 100 point ceiling. He has a two point floor, which we've seen in two of his last three fights. Uh, how do you see this one unfolding? This this yeah. seems like the ultimate GPP fight to target. Yeah. Do I have to pick a winner? <laughs> I won't it's, make you. You know, uh, I hate the line on Roundtree. I hate Marcin Prachnial's game plan. <laughs> you know, Prachnial is a, I forget the brand of karate he practices, but it's like aggressive karate. You know, yeah. normally when you see karate in the UFC, it's like all about maintaining distance. Steven Thompson is the perfect example. Um, you know, he's a guy that's quick. He gets in, gets out. He hits you, you don't hit him. Prachnial's karate is the opposite. It's like rush face first at the dude swinging wild. <laughs> And, you know, he's he's got I mean, three... he's been knocked out three times in the first round in the UFC. Very quick knockouts to, to you know, <laughs> and I've cashed tickets on his opponent three straight times and for, for solid money. It's been a nice little uh, money train. But the problem is Roundtree is, despite being a very, you know, good athlete, uh, he's, a, he's a really physically cut guy. He's a specimen. He's got good Muay Thai. You know, you think, oh, like, that's an easy knockout for for Khalil Roundtree. He's a little bit timid. You know, Ian Kudalaba in his last fight came in and just smoked him. Johnny Walker drops him with an elbow. These are two-minute losses. Um, Mikhail Olajacek, a guy that has pretty raw striking, just, you know, uh, beat him up. So um, 
is he is he the guy that's a sure thing to knock out Marcin Prachnil? No. If I'm, if I'm saying, you know, which way is the coin flip going to land, it's I'm going to guess Roundtree because mm-hmm. we know Prachnil hasn't shown up once. Um, but Roundtree is not hard to knock out. And, and Prachnil is like a little bit live. You know, I wouldn't touch him if you're not building like 10 lineups. But if he wins at 6,900 in the first round, you, you can't win a GPP without him. You, you, you're not going to be near the top 3% of a GPP without that guy winning at 6,900. All right. Uh, next fight on the card. I think we only have three left to go. I'm kind of intrigued just based on the styles of the next two fighter. We've got Mahmoud Miradov. He is 8,600 on DraftKings. Uh, pretty respectable price tag, but he's only a minus 140 favorite. Still good odds, but he's fighting Andrew Sanchez, who's a plus 120 dog. Uh, he's also a uh, 7,600 on DraftKings. The fight profile is pretty interesting. Um, you know, Miradov lands almost five strikes per minute. Uh, Sanchez isn't too far behind at 4.8, but Miradov only eats about 2.5 punches per minute. Sanchez still eats about 4.8. Uh, but where they differ is the grappling. Sanchez averages 2.6 takedowns per 15 minutes. Um, both have pretty good takedown defense, but I'm not sure on the sample sizes for those. Uh, it seems pretty simple to me. It seems like uh, Miradov probably tries to keep this one on the feet. Sanchez is probably the one more likely to get this to the ground and get the control time points. How are you reading this one? Right. I really like this matchup. Uh, you know, it, it's a nice test for both guys because Sanchez was kind of left for dead a few fights ago. You know, he, he was getting that quitter uh, uh, moniker because he had gassed uh, in, in some fights. Um but, you know, he's he's kind of right at the ship uh, in his last four fights. He's got a loss to Marvin Vittori mixed in there. But, you know, Marvin Vittori has shown he's he's right there in the top probably three of the division. Um, so, you know, we don't know where Andrew Sanchez is. Uh, Muradoff, two fights, two great results, passed with flying colors, but very low-level opponents. Though, you know, Alessio DiCherico showed you know, he's, he's not a, a guy you're going to walk through in his last fight. Um, and I believe when he fought Trevor Smith, that was a replacement for someone. I can't remember who. But, um, you know, a, a, a low-level guy that was kind of a necessity. Andrew Sanchez, he, his wrestling is his bread and butter, but he's got decent distance striking. So we're going to get to see that test from Muradov. My big concern is that it's a very close fight, a very even matchup. Neither guy is easy to knock out. Not that they're... They both have knockouts to their credit, uh, you know, in the win column, but not in the loss column. So, you know, it's probably going to go to a decision. It's probably going to be close. Uh, without major grappling points, Sanchez isn't going to be optimal. Um, without knockdowns or some grappling, Muradov is is not going to be optimal. So it's a tough one to, to get interested in for DraftKings. More just a great fight that I'm going to enjoy watching. <laughs> All right, we move on to the most expensive uh, fighter on the card, Mavsar Evlov. I will never be able to pronounce his name correctly. He is right. a what, – what is it? You got it right. Oh, did I? All right. Well, that's a little confidence boost. Uh, but he is a minus 550 favorite, uh, $9,400 on DraftKings. He's fighting Nick Lentz, who is $6,800. Um, this one, the writing seems to be on the wall, unless you have any faith in Nick Lentz pulling off a massive upside over Evlov's. 
Not really. Uh, you no, know, Lentz is, Lentz is better than people give him credit for. He can pull the occasional upset, but I don't see it happening here. Um, if you don't want to watch this fight, you could just watch Lentz fighting Arnold Allen. It's going to look very <laughs> similar. Um, you know, I don't think Evloev is going to... There'll be a little more grappling from Evloev's end, but, you know, Lentz is a good grappler um, in his own right. He's just going to get outstruck. Uh, Evloev striking has come along. Um Really, the interesting thing here is to bet Evloev by decision at minus 140. Um, that's the current line on that, and I think that's a slam dunk. Yeah, considering his first uh, three fights in the UFC have all been wins by decision, um, I feel like that's a good bet if you're looking to wager money. However, do you think he has a good ceiling at $9,400 on DraftKings? Because we've only seen him top 100 points once. Right, yeah, not at all. Uh, Lentz, Lentz is a guy that is is gritty and isn't going to let his opponent just tee off on him. Uh, and he's going to wrestle a little bit. Evloev uh, is that Russian style of control, again, that we talked about earlier. Effective at winning fights, not effective at scoring DraftKings points. All right, we'll move on to the opening fight on the card. We've got Zhagas Zhumagilov at minus 115, $8,300. He is fighting Amir Albazi, 7,900. I don't know too much about either fighter, so I may just let you talk this one up. I I think I kind of like it. This is the Dan Malin special if you want to try and target the fighter that's going to win and put you ahead early on in the night. Uh-huh. You've got the double alpha versus the double zeta. Uh, oh, oh <laughs> double, that's double awesome. Omega, I guess. Fantastic um, alliteration. Yeah. Uh, it, it's Zagas Zumagulov uh, for, for uh, those of you keeping score at home. I really like this fight um, from a standpoint of we're going to get to find out a lot about Amir Albazi. He is a really strong wrestler. He's got some power in his hands, but his striking is kind of raw coming along. Hasn't faced any tests <clears throat> to date. You know, um, his one loss is to Jose Shorty Torres. It was a decent fight. wasn't like an embarrassing loss. Um, and he got hurt in that fight, though. Uh, so... Um, you know, we got to see is his striking up to par. Zuma Gulov, um, he is Kazakhstani, very tough. Dude looks like he's just spent his whole life in a constant bar fight. Um, he's not a guy that is going to out-volume you. Um, he's not going to dominate you with wrestling. He's just going to, like, kind of be uncomfortable to fight and he's gonna try to make spots with that um he lost a really close decision to raulian paiva in his ufc debut um i think he gets overrated because he's got a win against ali bagatinov and tagir ulambekov uh ulambekov is one of the guys in khabib's camp that was a travesty of a robbery uh the fight took place in uh, Kazakhstan and um, Ulanbekov left the Fight Night's global promotion after that because it was such an extreme route. Like, uh, there was no spot where Zumagulov should have won more rounds than Ulanbekov. Um, Bagatinov, you know, split decision. Again, like, that's what Zalgas does. He's really good at making close fights. And, you know, if he can grease up a judge or two, maybe he gets it done. Um, I think Albazi is going to be able to use his wrestling. Uh, he's maybe going to find a little success in the striking department. Again, we go back to the DraftKings problem of can he get enough done? Can he get it done early? Um, 
both of those are not sure things. So I'm going to use some of him in DraftKings because he's a guy I want to root for um, and, and, you know, make me interested in this first fight. And like you said, you know, you win that first fight. It's always a nice thing. But I I don't think he's going to get knocked out by Zalgas. I don't think Zalgas, even in a win, you know, it's probably like a 55-point decision win with the new scoring. Um, so, you know, no interest there. All right. Uh, we'll wrap it up real quick. Which who are your favorite cash plays for this fight or for this slate rather? We're gonna you're gonna have to pick a dog here. Um, either Carlos Jr. or Frivola is probably someone you need to consider as as someone they can get grappling points, and even in a loss, that's gonna carry a little bit of weight for you. Um, you know, up top, who do I trust? You know, to get the win, I, I do kind of think Connor. I, I don't think. Poirier's got a great chance. Um, you know, I, I'm never going to count Poirier out because he's an absolute dog and will keep coming uh, if Connor doesn't take care of him. But I don't fully trust Hebus and I don't trust Roundtree at all. Evloev and Sarukian are guys that are just too slow. So, kind of by elimination, you, you, you're, you're looking at Connor, even at the ownership. In cash, you don't care, though. Um, in the mid range, you got Sarah McMahon. I think you're going to get some wrestling points there. And then, um, you know, if we're talking GPPs, um, people that are going to be kind of low owned, maybe Dan Hooker because Chandler's the new shiny thing. Hmm. Uh, <clears throat> you've got uh, Marina Rodriguez and Prachinial down there at the very bottom. If you can get one of those right, really opens up the entire slate for you. All right, Mike. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, first podcast of the year is in the books, uh, so thank you. Um, any fight card that has Conor McGregor on it is it's a treat, uh, based solely on the uh, promo packages that they'll run beforehand. Uh, so, Mike, best of luck to you this weekend with your MMA DFS lineups, and best of luck to the FA Nation.